Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. June is National Indigenous History Month. So with that in mind, we took a short road trip last week to Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump World Heritage Site. It's located near Fort McLeod in southern Alberta. And it was there that I met up with Quentin Crowshoe, Site Marketing and Special Events Manager at Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump. Quentin has a wealth of knowledge about the area and I learned a lot from him. So we're going to play that conversation for you later in the podcast. Plus, the province will begin Phase 3 of its Open for Summer plan on July 1st. We'll check in with Dave Kaiser, President of the Alberta Hotel and Lodging Association, to see how it'll affect their members. But first, we're going to start our podcast this week talking about the relatively new Arrive Can app and how it'll work for vaccinated travelers. So joining us now to explain it a bit further is our resident travel agent, Ken Stewart, from Crowfoot Travel Solutions. Good day, sir. Good day, Randy. <laughs> Let's talk about this uh, Arrive Can app. This isn't a new yeah. app, but uh, since a lot of us haven't traveled in the last year and a half, uh, it's probably new to everybody now, right? <laughs> well, it is, and it's uh, actually kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of taking place of that card you used to fill out on mm-hmm. the plane uh, to get back in. And we actually used it uh, when we went to Mexico last November, and uh, we had the COVID uh screening and everything here at the Calgary airport. So we're, you know, kind of guinea pigs for both of that. It's it's been around for a little while, but it's real, real easy to use. So again, you know, depending on what your platform is, you're either going to go to uh, the Google store or the the Apple store or whatever that one is on those Mm -hmm. uh, Apple guys, no offense to them. Um, And you're going to download the app. And then once you uh, open it up and you're going to probably do this, uh, you want to have it loaded before you go, but you're going to do it uh, probably 24 to 48 hours before your return because you actually have to have a flight. So, you know, as you and I were saying, you can't just go in and play to try it. Yeah. Uh, you kind of need a flight and everything, and they want to have your seat selection if you have that available for your seat. And, and it's kind of like a tracking program in that sense, too, for your flights if, if they need to get a hold of you because something happened on the plane or there was a concern. So uh, you'll be filling that out, but it's real simple to do. It's just kind of, you know, once you open it, you fill, fill in the blanks and then just continue along till you get to the end, and it's going to give you a code. Uh, that you'll uh, show when you arrive in customs, and they can actually track it to to make sure. And I know when I was doing my uh, quarantining, I had an email from them every day that I had to fill out, and they were tracking me on that. And we're waiting to hear how the, you know, it's actually really going to work, but uh, somehow we're going to use that app uh, to uh, track our uh, fully vaccinated passengers. Uh, So you'll be able to show that and uh, get into other countries as well as get back into Canada and, and have your legal documents or, or, you know, that's where we're presuming you're going to mm-hmm. upload that onto there, and uh, it's going to work. But it's real simple to do. Uh, and, again, you only need to do it 24, 48 hours before you're returning back into Canada. And the good thing about it is if you did all of a sudden forget because it is new, you can do it while you're on the plane. And then <laughs> as soon as you connect to Wi-Fi, it'll upload and everything for you. So you don't have to panic. You can still have access to it even offline and fill in all the blanks and everything. It just won't uh, upload it and give you your little uh, QR code at the end. Now, just to be uh, clear here, now, this replaces the little card, or, or do you still have some to fill pe- that card? Some, some people still have to do the card as well. This is this is for the government uh, to actually track you and, and keep track of who's coming and going and, you know, what your, your stats are when you're coming into Canada and everything like that, so... And the confusing part right now is, like you said, how it's going to be used for 
uh, proof of fully vaccinated uh, yeah, travelers. Um, right now, the way I understand it is if you take an image of the whatever documentation that they've given you, uh, you can just load it in as an image. Is that correct? Uh, again, we're waiting for final word on how that's going to work because it is going to be applied to the app. We're just not sure how. Uh, but again, like I did mine, uh, I had my second shot uh, just over a week ago, and I went on to uh, my Alberta digital ID, and I was able to go into there under my health records, and I could select the uh, reports for the previous two months, which showed my two vaccinations, and actually print off a report. Hmm. So I have that into PDF and, as like you say, a uh, picture format, mm-hmm. so that it shows that it shows your two dates when you're vaccinated, what vaccine you had, everything like that. So uh, I'm I'm guessing and hoping that this is kind of what they're going to do. But in the meantime, I've got that so that I have formal papers that I can show if I'm if I'm going to travel here shortly. Mm-hmm. I'm hopefully uh, down the road, like you said, will be some formal, more formal documentation. Maybe the IATA um, uh, documentation that they're talking about or. Some Something that's universal around the world, I think, would really streamline the process, would it not? <laughs> well, it is, and there's lots of different ones out there, because I've got clients that are flying down into the U.S., and uh, there's an attestation form with Air Canada they have to use, but I haven't seen any of those with West yet. Um, there is one for the, a generic one for the U.S. passengers that they fill out if you're traveling. So, I, I mean, there's lots of different forms out there. Uh, we just need to be consistent and uh, make sure that we know exactly what it is that they want so we can do it properly and save ourselves some grief and, and uh, keep the government and those in, uh, at the airlines and everything happy so that they can do their job. Uh, yeah, in the meantime, download the app. What if you don't have a phone? You're going to have to have a phone or a tablet that you can download that on. One or the other, Pretty much essential for travel travel nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. You you really want to. I've got a really good friend who doesn't have either, and I keep telling him he's not going anywhere. (laughs) Price the bullet and buys one. (laughs) (laughs) It's the way of the world. Ken Stewart from Crowfoot Travel Solutions. Thank you, Randy. Well, as the province begins phase three of its open for summer plans, so are the hotels in Alberta. So to give us an update on what that means and to talk about some of the other issues facing hoteliers across the province, we're pleased to be joined now by Dave Kaiser. He is the president and CEO of the Alberta Hotel and Lodging Association. Their website is ahla.ca. Can you just give me uh, an overview of what the last 15 months or so has been like for hotel operators? I know we talked about it a lot in the past, but... Maybe just rehash what it's been like. Well, it's it's really been unprecedented in terms of, uh, you know, going into lockdowns, coming out of lockdowns, um, sort of that start and stop. And uh, and overall, of course, with, you know, no real travel and borders closed and, uh, you know, airline, <laughs> very few flights. I mean, all the business has been uh, really challenged, um, I think. You know, in 2021, you know, to the end of April, province-wide, you know, we've run 25% occupancy. We've seen rates uh, down significantly over where they were. You know, overall revenues, I would say, um, you know, off 50% plus uh, from where we would have been, you know, pre-pandemic. So it's it's been a it's been a rough go. Um, I think for the most part, uh, our industry has survived or that we are in survival mode and and you know on the positive side we've probably seen fewer 
bankruptcies than we may have expected, and that's largely due to, you know, the amount of uh, federal um, liquidity support um, through programs like the wage subsidy and, mm. and some of the overhead uh, subsidy and, and some of the also the supports from the province and accommodative letter, lenders. That's That's sort of been, you know, the situation. Well, let's look ahead to phase three now, and let's compare what it's like to stay at a hotel, I don't know, tonight versus uh, after July 1st. Uh, what <clears throat> things are in place uh, right now versus uh, when phase three hits? You know, I've in advance of the interview, I, I've reached out and talked to a number of hoteliers, and, and I think for the most part, you're going to see hotels still uh, pra- maintaining a lot of the, the protocols that they had, especially around cleaning and housekeeping. Um, what I'm hearing is that even you know guests, there's certainly a pickup with bookings, but many guests are calling and they're they're asking those kinds of questions. So um, you know even even when the, we turn the page here, July 1st, you may still see some hotel staff wearing masks. You'll likely still have plexiglass at the front desk, and uh, um, but of course the amenities and things will be more open than they were before, and we'll be able to accommodate uh, um, more folks. So. So again, I, 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 the hotels are going to are, are being very you know, mindful of where the confidence of travelers is, and 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 again, they're they're really doing their part to ensure the the, the, the health and safety of our guests. Well, and I think uh, just looking back to the hospitality industry and the tourism industry, I'm thinking the hotels, restaurants, uh, airlines have done a remarkable job. I think since day one of doing the types of things that you're talking about. You know, making um, making sure that areas have been cleaned and uh, staff is are masking up and making sure their uh, customers or passengers are, are masking up. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And I, and I think the industry itself has kind of been beaten down unnecessarily. Yeah, I would I would agree. I I think our industry in, in most cases have gone above and beyond. Uh, you know, through our association put together a program called uh, um, the Alberta, you know, the Alberta or HLA Safe Accommodation uh, Promise, and it's sort of a program designed to, with all the health protocols that were imposed by government, uh, best practices when it came to cleaning um, and sanitization, and we had. Uh, we've had a couple hundred hotels that have embraced that program. Many others have, you know, programs that were implemented by the brands. And, and you know, I, again, I, I think they've done an incredible job <laughs> to, to try to, to, to ensure, um, you know, health and safety uh, for, for the staff and the guests. Mm-hmm. Um, so restaurants will be able to have, um, I'm going to call somewhat normal sitting uh, in phase three. What about swimming pools and spas and things like that that are, they're really, uh, you know, when, when you're staying at a hotel, without those amenities, uh, it's really tough to get guests to come and stay for a while, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The swimming pool thing was big for, you know, whenever we could have even some um, lifting of restrictions. And, you know, in some of the um, periods we had opportunities where single households could book a pool or they had, you know, you could have people, but they had to be distanced in a pool. So, Having those amenities open will really, really be helpful, and I think for the most part, you know, they'll be, you know, we'll, we'll go with what the province is, is allowing now because that does drive business. And I'm hearing things like, you know, I talked to an operator who, you know, 
was seeing sports teams coming back and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things like that. So that's, that's really positive to hear. Has staffing been an issue? I'm hearing some uh, rumblings in the restaurant industry that uh, it's hard to find staff. Uh, is that an issue? It, 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 it truly is. I mean, we had a lot of staff uh, who were laid off and, and some that were laid off, brought back, laid off. We still have some that are on, you know, in the big hotels uh, that are still probably the hardest hit that rely on, you know, convention business and large group um, are still off. But I thought, you know, I've heard from hotels that it's, it is very difficult in, in some areas to, to hire staff. And they're needing, because, you know, we're, we're opening up and, and we're seeing some activity, certainly in the resort areas and some of the rural areas with, with projects, the need to, to staff up. And, and, and it's, a, it's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. How close are you with other hotel associations in other provinces? And, and you know, I'm thinking of B.C., Saskatchewan, the bordering provinces, uh, and what's going on there? Uh, we work very closely together and because many of our issues are sort of federal and we have a national association as well. So mm-hmm. throughout COVID, we, we were meeting regularly to discuss sort of the different pro, you know, protocols in each province, the different restrictions, and how we could work together to, you know, especially as we come out of this, to encourage interprovincial travel and, and certainly the, the, the opening of the, the U.S. border is something that would really make a difference um, for the summer. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's very nice to promote locally and even interprovincially, but really it is international visitors, especially during the summertime, that are your bread and butter. They spend more money, they stay longer. Uh, so your thoughts on just, uh, you know, were you disappointed with the announcement of uh, not opening the borders sooner with the U.S. And, and having sort of a plan for international visitors, say, from Europe or, or elsewhere? Yes, I would say we were disappointed. We were we were really hoping, uh, you know, the federal government would follow uh, sort of the, the expert panel's recommendations. We were certainly in support of that. It seemed they were based on science and 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 again, just sort of a lack of clarity of, as to, you know, what will happen when. Um, you know, to do any sort of planning and forecasting, uh, it's it's really difficult w- without that visibility. Mm-hmm. Anything else I missed? You want to add? The only thing I would say is I'd really encourage Albertans to, to get out and, and visit places across the province. Uh, uh, I know that our hotels are, you know, they're, they're ready to welcome guests back, excited. Uh, I know they're safe. And the other thing I would encourage them to do is, is, is to book direct with the property versus going through an online travel agency. I don't know that most people are aware that, you know, those, those OTAs take 15 to 25, upwards of 25% off the top of the rate that gets paid. And, and so, you know, those are important dollars. If we can keep them in the hands of, uh, you know, those local owners of, of, and neighbors of, of people that actually own hotels in Alberta, that, that's a great benefit uh, to our sector and, uh, and to the Alberta economy. Dave Kaiser is the president and CEO of the Alberta Hotel and Lodging Association, their website, ahla.ca. It's uh, always a real pleasure to chat, Dave. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate the opportunity.
June is National Indigenous History Month, so with that in mind, we took a short road trip to Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump World Heritage Site located near Fort McLeod in southern Alberta. It's a fascinating place and an eye-opening experience, which I would highly recommend. It's also where I met up with Quinton Crowshu. He is the Site Marketing and Special Events Manager at Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump. Their website is headsmashedin.ca, and here's that conversation for you now. Tell me about the area and the significance of Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump to start, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of visiting the site itself. Yeah, uh, thank you, and uh, welcome to Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump. This site, uh, you know, dates back over 6,000 years. Um, it's a sacred site. It always has been a sacred site. Um, my ancestors, you know, were using this site for survival for many, many thousands of years. Uh, up until the middle of the 1800s, um, when the horse and the gun were introduced, mm -hmm. and then the, the cliffs basically uh, became, uh, they weren't used anymore because they had new technology. But uh, this particular jump um, was one of the most used, uh, the best preserved, uh, had the deepest bone bed. Um, so when the archaeologists came, that's when they started discovering how significant it was. Um, so when I say this jump had it all, I mean, it faces east. Um, it had, a, a, you can see the river bed or the creek bed that was down below the jump. Mm -hmm. uh, that was there to help uh, process the meat, you know, clean the meat. Uh, it has the driving lanes. So right now we're only at where the buffalo went over the cliff. Mm. It's a much bigger picture than that. Um, you go west of here and you've got a natural uh, basin-shaped uh, rolling prairie. And that was uh, known as the Gathering Basin. And um, so the Gathering Basin, as, as you come east towards the cliff, uh, you would see the rock cairns and they're in the shape of a V. And they come uh, to the to where the the precip is, uh -huh. and uh, so they would be tricked and lured and different methods of bringing them to that that cliff. And then the reason the the uh, bonus of facing facing east is uh, sometimes they would time it where the sun is just coming up, and, uh, and it would help. Uh, not only is it an optical illusion, yeah. but it would help blind the buffalo as yeah. they're going over, so they don't see. They don't see the edge and they yeah. don't stop. And, <laughs> and, and you know, they're, they're being stampeded. They're running. Yeah. And so a buffalo, you know, he's got a big front body, big head. It's hard for him to stop, you know, and, and, and he just, they just follow the leader. And they stay in the pack. So yeah. uh, they stay in the pack because um, they, they take refuge in a pack. They don't, if, they're, if they feel a uh, sense danger or whatever, uh, buffalo wouldn't run in different directions and scatter all over. They would stay in a pack for safety. And so that was used to the advantage, to, you know, all going over the cliff yeah. at one given time. Amazing. And so, the, uh, of course, the, below the cliff would be um, the kill site where all the uh, warriors and, and uh, people, um, you know, would be there to, to finish him off um, and then start the processing. And so uh, we have the gathering basins, we've got the drive lane, we've got the cliff, and then below the cliff is called the uh, kill site. And then they would, uh, uh, you know, quarter up the, the carcass and drag it out to the lower level plane where they would have a temporary camp set up and they would start butchering the butchering process. Yeah, and like so, a whole production almost, like, like, like a factory production yeah, type yeah. thing, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Amazing. So most of the most of the camps, um, you know, because of the, the significant winds we have here in, in southwestern Alberta, most of the camps you would find down by the river, 
you know, nestled in a good uh, camping spot, um, mm -hmm. access to water, shelter around the trees. So they would they would make the only the ones involved in the hunt would make their way up here. They would they would muzzle the dogs so the dogs won't make noise and yeah. only the ones involved in the hunt would come up and carry out the hunt. But then once the uh, the buffalo are gone over the cliff and, and they start uh, uh, processing and butchering, the whole everybody would make their way up here and because you have to do it fast because they didn't want the meat to go bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. They would cut some of it in thin strips and make dried meat and then they would eventually make that into pemmican and. Yeah, so this this site here, um, this uh, buffalo jump uh, was, or this site was designated as UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1981, and uh, the building was designed to suit the sandstone cliffs. Driving up, you only see 10, 15% of the building. When you go in, there's seven levels, uh, five levels of interpretation. We got a movie theater, a gift shop, um, a, caf or a cafeteria. Mm -hmm. uh, but today, uh, because of COVID, yeah, uh, we are open. We haven't been open in 15 months. Mm -hmm. We just opened up this past Monday, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a it's a soft opening, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. So no gift shop, no cafeteria, no special events. We're just open to the public and welcoming people. Um, so it, it's it's limited in, in what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. um, so getting back to the whole story of how many buffalo are we talking about? And is it like once a year they would do this? Because I would imagine, would they have not an, enough meat and things for the, to last them the whole year? Or, or how did that work? Yeah, good question. Um, well, it, 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 this wasn't the only jump. Okay. There was many, many uh, cliffs across uh, the plains, the northwestern plains. Uh, sometimes they would, you know, wouldn't have to, they'd be camped along the river and all of a sudden there's buffalo there and a steep cliff, you know, they would send them over. Um, this one here was, uh, there's a time where it wasn't used for a long time, so it would sit unused, um, you know, but, but they would often see the buffalo. The natural basin that's west of here, it's a perfect place to have your little ones and graze and you know, have all the... Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So usually the, the number of buffalo that went over the cliff was um, based on the number of people that were involved in the hunt. Mm -hmm. um, what what the story here at the Buffalo Jump says is uh, about 75 to maybe 250 people at, at, or 250 buffalo at one given time. Okay. Um, and that was because if, if if you had any less than 75, uh, they would tend to scatter. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, if you have more than 250, it's very hard to manage. Mm -hmm. And they would take uh, try take as much as they could it, that that they needed. Yeah to, yeah. So. And they would use the whole carcass, right? Like you're talking oh, about yeah, yeah. clothing and food and then the bones, everything, right? Tools. Yeah, weapons, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, whatever they, they didn't uh, take, uh, natural predators would come in and finish them off. So tell me about a, like a typical tour. What, what Like you mentioned uh, when we got here, you arrive at the, the interpretive center, the entrance down, but it's actually up above that you climb above and you start your tour up above, yeah, right? Yeah, the building is designed... You know, it's an interpretive center. We have normally in, in a regular uh, operational year, we'd have interpreters who would uh, be available to share knowledge, like I am with you today. Mm -hmm. um, but the building is it, it, it's it, the way it unfolds is if you start at the top, you could go out along the cliff to the viewpoint, mm -hmm. spend some time out at the actual cliff, you know, and um, then you would come back in and work your way down the building. 
and the story unfolds. And um, when you get to the second level, the, there's a movie, a reenactment of a buffalo hunt. Oh, cool. And then when you get to the main level, you've got the archaeological aspect of things and how uh, it, they protected and preserved the story, mm -hmm. interacted with the elders and, and gained the knowledge that they could to do a, an, a, an interpretive center. Yeah. Um, when we were coming up from the drive, uh, from the parking lot or whatever, there's a sign that, and it told the name of where I had smashed in Buffalo Jump, uh, how it got the name. Yeah. It's rather a sad story. I didn't know that, though. Can you explain the story? Well, yeah, the... Um, the story uh, talks about a young man who was uh, very curious as to how uh, a waterfall of buffalo would look uh, going over, as if, you know, as if you go under a waterfall. Yeah. It's pretty cool to be. Honest. He was just curious, and um, and as the buffalo went over the cliff, uh, uh, they stacked up, uh, and he was pinned between the, the cliff, and and, uh, and his head was. Uh, yeah. Uh, when they found him, that's the name, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a sad story, but it's an interesting story that I didn't know about. Uh, anything we missed? You only have about a minute. So, something you want to add that I might have missed or uh, anything? Just, just uh, take this opportunity to let people know we are open. Yeah. Uh, we do have some. Uh, we are a provincial government site. We do have uh, some restrictions in place. Mm -hmm. uh, up, up at this point, uh, masks are mandatory. Uh, but we are open, we are welcoming guests, and we'd like to see everybody come here and check it out. Uh, Quentin Crowshoe is the Site Marketing and Special Events Coordinator for the Head Smashed In Buffalo Jump World Heritage Site. You can find all kinds of information on their website, headsmashedin.ca. Thank you for inviting us, Quentin. I'm looking forward to my tour. Thank you. And that is this week's Informed Traveller podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveller radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveller.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.